Welcome to Mind Love, episode 231. Today's episode is about finding contentment in an endlessly dissatisfied world. I've heard from too many people at too many different stages of their life of financial success, fame, all these things. Like I've talked to so many people and all of them say the same thing where they're like, it doesn't change you as much as people think. Like it changes people's perception of you, but it doesn't change you fundamentally. And that has really been a guiding light for me because that means that my happiness, my fulfillment, my purpose, my joy is not somewhere out there for me to achieve. It's somewhere within me to cultivate on a day-to-day basis. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If you're new to Mind Love, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And here's your personal reminder to tap that little subscribe button. That way, you'll get reminders to give your mind a little love when new episodes release. And if you love the show, consider leaving a five-star review. These help me entice all the amazing guests that you hear on the show. Today, I want to share a review from Jess Rose Johnson, who titled it Mind Love Over Therapy. Melissa, I've been listening to you for over a year now, and after upwards of 50 podcasts, yours is the one that keeps me coming back for more. I look forward to every single episode, and I think you do such a great job choosing the topics and making every single one feel meaningful and actionable. On days where I'm struggling, your podcast helps me center myself and stay motivated. I just love this review. This is one of those that just kept me glowing for the entire week. So thank you for taking even just a few minutes because it stays with me for so much longer. And now let's get to the show. Do you ever feel like your happiness is just waiting for the right circumstances? When I make a little more money, I'll be able to stop stressing and then I'll be happy. When the kids are a little older, things will slow down and then I'll be happy. Gosh, if I just lose this extra 10 pounds, I'll feel more like the person I'm supposed to be and then I'll be happy. When I can just find a good partner, I won't be alone, and then I'll be happy. But what if this way of thinking is a trap? What if putting conditions on your happiness just breeds more and more conditions? You get the raise, and yeah, you have a little more money, but you're also a little busier, and suddenly it turns into, well, when things slow down, then I'll be happy. Or the kids get a little older, and it's not easier like you thought. It's even more stressful. So then you think, well, when Jimmy gets better grades, then I'll be happy. Or you lose that extra 10 pounds, and then suddenly you're focused on some other imperfection. Or you finally get into a relationship, and now you just have someone else to blame for your unhappiness. Because most of the time, that's all any of these excuses are. They're things to blame for why you aren't happy right now. What I've learned over the years is that Unhappiness can very easily turn into a habit because for most of us, our unhappiness comes from the way we choose to look at our circumstances. And in most cases, there's someone somewhere who would love to switch lives with you, even with all the problems that you think you have. But we get into these habits of looking for the things that could be better. Instead of getting used to looking for the beauty and the perfection in all things, We train our minds to see how something could be more beautiful or where it's lacking in perfection. 
And so then when our conditions for happiness are already met, we lose the weight, we get the money or the partner, etc. Our mind is still seeking where things could be better and seeing our life through a lens of flaws. And I get it that there are always more extreme circumstances. I remember right around the deepest point of my rock bottom. At that time, I had just received a felony on my record for a crime I didn't even commit. After a jail stint for a crime I didn't commit. And two years of court cases for a crime I didn't commit that wiped me out of any savings that I had. I moved to LA with a couple hundred dollars in my bank account. I had monthly restitution payments to pay. I was still very much bulimic. I had no car, no friends nearby. I remember thinking, I cannot believe this is my life. This is not how I would have ever wanted it to be. But I did have with me a book that someone gifted to me. The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I remember walking like four miles to a park to read in the grass. Well, he lays out four simple agreements, but one that really stuck out at that time. Don't take anything personally. He said, whatever happens around you, don't take it personally. Nothing other people do is because of you. It is because of themselves. And he also says that if you live in a past dream, he calls reality a dream. So if you live in a past dream, you don't enjoy what is happening right now because you will always wish it to be different than it is. There is no time to miss anyone or anything because you're alive. Not enjoying what is happening right now is living in the past and being only half alive. And this leads to self-pity, suffering, and tears. Don Miguel was a bit of my no-nonsense guide to getting my shit together. But I made changes based on what he had said. And I started to notice that I was becoming increasingly happier just through a shift in my mindset. So that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Jamie Varon. Her writing has been seen across the internet for over a decade. And now she's the author of a book called Radically Content, Being Satisfied in an Endlessly Dissatisfied World. So three key things we will learn are why more isn't always better, how to find contentment through unlearning things, and how to balance dissatisfaction as a state of mind versus a healthy motivator. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. So what is your story and what led you on a journey to contentment? Oh, well, the story starts with 
being absolutely not content. <laughs> so that's where it really begins is learning how to actually like myself and like my life and feel that it was enough. I definitely had that mentality in my mind. I think growing up, I had a lot to prove. I thought that I needed to achieve certain things, get to certain milestones, have certain things happen by a certain age. Usually in my mind, that was before I was 30. And if I hadn't gotten there, I really was beating myself up all the time. Like I used to really have that thing where I was my own worst enemy. That was my whole thing. And I just thought that was normal. Like it was normal if you had a drill sergeant in your head trying to motivate you by like your own self-loathing and self-hatred, like this will go away if you achieve these things. So keep going, keep going and never stop, never rest, never relax. Like if you take a day off, make sure that you're thinking about and obsessing about work as well don't ever really just like give your brain a break. And I really got to the point, it was about end of 2016, 2017, where I was like, pretty much quit everything. Like I stopped writing. I stopped being in my mind. It was a time where I was like, I'm done being ambitious. Like I'm just done. I just worked on making money, getting out of debt. I did a lot of things that were just not really like propelling my life, my career forward in the way that I had for so long. And wow, it was a wonderful year. And it was a wonderful many years that came from that. And I recognized what I did was build contentment for myself, which was I was terrified of becoming content. Like that was the biggest thing in my 20s was, no, that's settling, that's complacency, that's giving up, come to real full circle in my life of like, no, actually, that's like the foundation from which everything is born is like you feel that you have worth and value as you are. You are enough as you are. That's unconditional. And everything else, you just say, like, what else do I want to experience in my life? I relate to so much of that. And it's something that I have to continuously remind myself. And there, there's different ways of learning this. Like the, from the spiritual side, I hear often people say, just learn to be versus maybe the more mindset side. It's like, yeah, that, that contentment or, or being grateful for what you have rather than constantly learning. But those things are not taught to us. And it's not even just like, we don't learn it in school. Clearly we don't, but it's like we're being taught the exact opposite of those things. And it's so interesting to see an entire society that's so misguided around what it really means to find fulfillment in your life. Why do you think we all are so misguided? Why? How is it that so many people are chasing the wrong things when it's like we've had thousands of years to figure this out? <laughs> what you said at the beginning too, I totally relate to that as I'm constantly learning this in new ways. I am always reminding myself of this because of what you're talking about, where it's not the norm. So you have to be kind of going against the grain a little bit. And I think it's especially apparent in more like Western societies. And there's probably, depending on who you talk to, they'll have a different way. You know, if they're a sociologist, they'll talk about it. Psychologists, they'll talk about it differently. But for me, I just think, there's not a lot to profit off of people who like themselves and like their life. So it's actually, it's incredibly lucrative to give people problems and to give people pain and to make them feel like they're always having to earn 
and consume to be able to feel worthwhile and to feel that they're worthy and valuable. And if you put a value on these types of things, you know, if you put a value on happiness, if you put a value on joy, then you end up with people who think they have to earn those things instead of being like, actually, most of the most joyful things are really simple. Um, it's like, you know, people who spend a lot of time in nature, for example, they find they, they come to find that like, their joy is a lot simpler than when they spend more time not in nature. Um, and so I think there's a lot that has been profited off of as we move further and further away from seeing how simple life can be. And I'm not saying, you know, I think I don't really vibe with a lot of the stuff where it's like, okay, well then just go live in a van, go live in a van. If that's your dream, I'm down with that, but that's not me. I want to still exist in society. And my answer to that and my learning was what I put in my book, Radically Content, is talking about like, how do I exist as an ambitious person, a person who wants to do things, wants to show up, wants to achieve, but doesn't want to feel a, a constant dissatisfaction that my life is still not good enough yet, that I'm not good enough yet, and go against the grain of this like cultural messaging that's telling us there's a value on your head for everything that you do. I mean, we've turned almost everything into like a, a morality type of thing or like, you know, oh, I'm bad. Like even we say, this is like the funniest thing to me when we talk about like, if you watch, I don't know, a rom-com or you listen to pop music or you read like a romance novel, it's a guilty pleasure. It's like, it, can't, it just can't be a pleasure. It has to be, there's guilt. You've done something wrong. You've got to, you know, it's just, wow, what, what have we done to ourselves? Oh my gosh, I totally agree with you. And I have my guilty pleasures too. My one guilty pleasure, the only time that word ever comes out of my mouth is when I talk about The Bachelor. And even, even though you're bringing light to this, I still feel a little guilty about it, mostly because it's so dumb. <laughs> but, but it's addictive. And it's funny because I interviewed this woman, Vanessa Van Edwards, who wrote a book, a couple of great books. And in one of them, she talked about The Bachelor and, and like watching it to identify these cues that she talks about in communication. So that's, that's my reason. But it's funny. I have to have a whole reason. Oh, I'm doing this for research. I'm, I'm doing this to enhance my behavioral understanding, right. <laughs> not just because I'm addicted to it. But I, you're right. And I also agree with you. I'm an ambitious person. I'm entrepreneurial by nature. I want to achieve more just I want to you know I don't want to feel guilty about that either that I that I want to continue to build upon my legacy but what I don't want is negative feelings around that and I know it's a slippery slope even when it's coming from a very or I think it's coming from a good place there's so many different things to check there's like well am I driving myself too hard what's my inner voice sound like when when I'm going towards this goal does this feel good anymore now that I'm in the middle of it? Or has most of this journey been beating myself up? And it's hard to get enough awareness to bring that awareness to like each of these points because the societal influences are so ingrained. So it seems like we are always defaulting back to what, what we've heard or what we've seen, what everyone around us is doing. And so I'm curious though, 
I know you talk about a lot of the different things that we need to unlearn in order to then figure out how to kind of build upon a healthier foundation. But I wonder how normal is it to be dissatisfied? I know a lot of people were raised thinking that this dissatisfaction or not being content with where you are is one of their healthy motivators or so is it a healthy motivator or is it why most people are so unhappy? Is it both? How do you find that balance? <laughs> I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. So is it a healthy motivator or is it why most people are so unhappy? Is it both? How do you find that balance? <laughs> this is the thing. This is why, this is what I thought 
<laughs> for a long time was I was like, this is my edge. This is what keeps me motivated. Why else? You know, when I took that time off and I paused on a lot of my ambitions, like in 2017, I had a lot of grief because I thought that's it. I'm not going to be motivated. I'm not going to want to do more. And what ended up happening was I just came back around in a much more level-headed way, in a way where I can really enjoy and celebrate my accomplishments. Because that's the thing. I do think it's very normal for people to feel dissatisfied. I think most people feel in some way, often multiple ways, that they haven't measured up, that they haven't had their potential met, that you know, they see maybe on social media that someone's doing this thing and they think like, well, what's my issue that I'm not doing that? And what's wrong with me? And I think we noticed a lot of that, like in 2020, when things started shutting down, you saw a lot of people who were having a reckoning with themselves of like, where's my worth from without all of these external things? What What is happening to me that I'm meeting myself almost for the first time because I'm not over busy, I'm not overextended. And I think when we are doing things that are harmful to us, that is what's propelling that harm is this feeling of I have to be doing more, I have to be saying yes, I have to be doing all of this, I have to be productive. And there's a way of doing that. And of course, you have to be vigilant. I mean, at any given point, we have two options in life. We can either live with awareness and intention and purpose, or we live on autopilot and we just go with what the people say to do and we just check off all the lists and either of those are completely available. And some people in autopilot maybe are really happy, you know, but there's a lot of us who are just not being there. We're not able to really keep up with what society says is important and all the different things that change from one day to the next of like who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to believe, all this stuff. But I think people really do have that malaise where they get to the point where they were like, they're like, wait, I have done so much. I've been working. I'm doing all of these things. I've built this life, but I don't feel as though I'm satisfied. And I don't feel that sense of peace within myself. I still feel like I'm not good enough. I still feel like I have to do more in order to earn something from, you know, that I think this self-doubt will go away or something like that. And I just think like we can be motivated by different things. Like I'm more motivated by what an experience is going to bring me in a positive way. You know, like let me do this because I love the challenge and it's something that I've always wanted to do. So I'm going to put aside this fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, all of this stuff, just so I can show up for myself and honor the gifts that I've been born with and the gifts that want to come out. And I have a totally different view on it where I enjoy the journey. I feel much more at peace with myself. I'm not so fixated on that end result and what it's going to tell me about how good I am at like keeping up with society or anything like that. And I don't let my like baseline foundation of contentment and feeling good and feeling happy with myself really fluctuate with these external things that we really can't control too. I mean, that's another thing, like so much of people's lives are, they, it feels pretty random. You know, we can find meaning in what happens to us, which is, I think, very important, but we can't always control what happens to us. So how do we account for that? 
And I think this is something that if we look at and compare to other people and say, oh, they must have something I don't, it causes this internal disconnect. And I mean, I would say I've been saying this stuff for a long time. And all of a sudden, it's really hitting what I believe is some kind of tipping point and people are really starting to pay attention. And I'm like, okay, this is definitely something that people are coming to awareness with within themselves of going, what is happening? Like, why am I never, ever feeling good about myself? Like feeling happy with myself, feeling just like a moment of peace and contentment within myself. I wonder how much of the fact that everyone's lives were so disrupted, we were taken off of autopilot in the last few years. Some people had more time to think. Not saying everybody did. Some people had to work even harder, but some people, they were working from home or they lost their jobs or, you know, maybe people around them were getting sick or just anything. There were so many things that have happened in the last few years that caused me to reflect upon my life in a different way than I had before. And I have made so many life changes over the years, and it seems like every time I peel back another layer, there's just another thing to kind of be discovered. And so I find it interesting that I seem to find more happiness the more I actually remove from my life rather than the more that I gain. And don't get me wrong, I have that endless desire for everything on Amazon, it seems. (laughs) And I indulge more than I'd like to admit But one thing, one big change that I made fairly recently, August of 2020, we moved from LA to the mountains. And wow, it was a huge transition. There was so many little habits or conveniences that I was, in a sense, addicted to. And I, losing them made me feel as though I was not happy, but really I just wasn't getting those same dopamine hits. And now I have like the replacements. So instead of walking to purchase a matcha latte or purchase something at the store down the street. I am now walking by a lake and bringing my own wellness shot or whatever it is. And and I've removed alcohol and removed all these other things that I just was able to look at uh, more honestly when I had the time and, and ask myself, like, is this actually really adding anything? But you're right about the fact that there's not a lot of profit to be made and we live in a very capitalistic society and I think there's a lot of huge benefits to that. I'm not the kind of person who thinks capitalism should die. I think it's what may, has made one of the things that has made America great. But at the same time, it requires us to have a crap ton of discernment because now it's not just like the snake oil salesman on the corner trying to sell us something and we have to pass by that one guy every day or like we willingly go to a market, we are bombarded with like a thousand different really cool looking things on Instagram just as we scroll. And so we have this idea and I know it's one of the points that you talk about that more is always better, that just this next thing, once I obtain this next thing and we see other people with the next thing and influencers and all this stuff... And so when you're going through that temptation of like this next thing, I really think is going to be the thing that like (laughs) does it for me. How do you talk yourself through that to, to align your mind with the fact that this other thing is not going to be another thing that makes your life better? Yeah, I think my, the best thing that I do is I always want to have a why even down to like why I want to purchase something. Um, Because, 
And I'm telling you, this does take a significant, as you know, I mean, a significant amount of effort. I would just prefer to put in the effort of this kind of discernment and awareness versus just like, you know, bubbling along where I was pretty miserable and, you know, having like blackout moments of depression where I didn't even remember where I was for two weeks. You know, it's just like, that's not available to me anymore. So I have to be this discerning. And I'm always looking for a why. I'm always, even when it's a purchase, even, you know, if it's like, is this going to add to my life, Uh, especially when I'm scrolling Instagram? I mean, there are many times where I just am so ready to buy something. And I'm like, Jamie, you just want that because you're trying to keep up because you're feeling left behind because you think that that's going to keep you, I don't know, relevant, or you're going to miss out or life's, you know, there, you're going to get something or feel something that they are feeling in this, like, still image that, you know, might, might've even been manufactured, you know? And so I just am always really aware of myself and connected to myself. And this was the work that I did for a long time was to really get back to myself and be able to actually like, we are so bombarded with stuff all the time. Like, I mean, our attention is now currency, especially with social media. It is currency and people want to capture it all the time. I mean, every startup, every place, their whole conversation in every boardroom, every meeting is how do you capture people's attention? This is the big thing. And so our attention is also limited. What I'm always doing is trying to make sure that I'm putting my attention in places where I want it to be. And where I'm able to actually hear myself and be able to, because we've been taught and, or I mean, it just happens when we're giving away our attention all the time to outside things that we're not as connected to ourselves. So, you know, if you try to say to someone, you got to listen within, connect to your intuition, a lot of people are like, well, how, where, where does that come from? I mean, how can I hear that when I've got like, trauma or all these other like expectations from society, all these other things. And I totally get that. So what I am always doing is attaching that why and the why has to give me something. It cannot be something like I'm buying this or I'm doing this because I don't like myself or I don't like this part of myself or I don't like this. That's running away to me versus if I want something, everything that I buy or most things that I buy, sometimes I just buy and I I mean, I'm not perfect, but most things that I buy, most things that I do, I'm always looking for the positive benefit to me. You know, it's my life. Like I want it to benefit me. And if I'm going to spend my time, attention, money, energy on anything, I want it to benefit me. And that means like, you know, looking at, for example, like if I want to start an exercise habit or something like that, I don't think I'm going to do this because I hate my body. I think I'm going to do this because I feel good when I exercise. It gives me mental clarity, like stacking up these reasons of why it's going to benefit me, which I always think we feel more enthused about than doing this constant shaming, which we have, you know, like, Oh, I'm on Instagram and I want to buy this thing and I'm da 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 da. Now I'm mad at myself and why am I back here and this and that, which is like just the constant ticker tape that we have going in our minds versus if we can switch that around and be like, well, why? And I also, because I also think that why leads into 
being more curious with ourselves as opposed to judgmental and shaming, which is what we kind of default to is this shame of, oh, why do I like this show? Why do I do this? Uh, uh, uh. Instead of saying like, why do I like this show? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is it giving me? I And it can just be, hey, like I watched all episodes of that show on Netflix called Is It Cake? I loved it. It gave me nothing. I mean, it's not like a stimulating type of thing, but I was like, I don't need something really heavy right now. I think this is enjoyable. I think it's hilarious. And I just like it. Like, why get mad at myself for something like that instead of just being like, because that's the thing. It's like, then just enjoy it. You know, if it's not hurting anyone, like just enjoy it. And then you know, and if you are on Instagram and something really cool comes along and you're like, wow, I'm really going to enjoy having this and using this. That's the other thing with consumption for me. I have to make sure that I will actually use it too. And I can't, I get so upset with myself when I don't use something. Like when I, if I buy clothes online or something, I have to, my, I have this like, kind of discernment where I tell myself, I'm like, if you don't want to wear this tomorrow, you're sending it back. Like, this is not a one day, maybe I'll like this. It's like, you got to want to wear this out to dinner that night, or you're done. Like, send it back. Because I, I think these types of things, it's like, I'm down to enjoy the, the, you know, the beautiful things that are out here. I like to spend money. I'm down with that. But I want to do it in a way that feels aligned and intentional versus just blacked out. I'm just trying to keep up with a bunch of things that have no real value to me. It's so hard to do. I yeah. I feel like I'm at the age though now where I have enough stuff that now I'm realizing it's not the lack of stuff that makes me unhappy. It's actually too much stuff because I don't have a spot for everything. <laughs> and then right? the clutter gets irritating. And so then I'm like, well, do I sell all these things on Facebook Marketplace? Or like, how do I get rid of them? And it's it's hard. And and so you'd think that would just automatically make me wipe out my Amazon cart, but it does not. And you're right about that bringing intention or really just thought, like, why do I want this? Because I don't think we realize how many things that we have on autopilot. And it brings me back to what you said about how, you know, every startup is asking themselves, how can we gain someone's attention? I worked in the app world. I was a product designer for apps for a long time. And so, yeah, it's not like we were trying to be nefarious nefarious on the other side or like evil being like, <laughs> like, well, let's see how addicted we can make people to this. But you're talking about things like, how do you create a product that sticks? How do we get people to come back into the app? You know? And so it's like these, these seemingly harmless business goals. But when you really think about what they're doing, it's not even just that they're taking your attention. I don't think people realize how much what you pay attention to crafts who you are. And so if more of your attention is just on consumption and you know, scrolling through everybody else's lives and scrolling through the ads of what people tell you that you need, then without you even noticing those are the things that you're going to think that you need and that's who you you're going to think that you should be versus actually intentionally 
telling, asking yourself questions, getting to know yourself and understanding what's actually going to light you up and make you happy versus what you've just been told makes you happy. That's so well said. I mean, I got a minor in marketing. There's a whole class called consumer behavior and they teach you all about come up with pain points so that you can figure out how your problem solves them. And if there are no pain points, come up with the pain points for the consumer. And it's not, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not malicious. I mean, sometimes some corporations is a little malicious, but you know, most of the time it's not malicious. It's just like persuasiveness, you know, or when it's an app, like you want, you want people to be on the app for a certain amount of time. Like they even track where you, there's like hot spots of where you stop on your scroll or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of embedded and there's nothing wrong with it. It's what's wrong with it is when we're not aware of it. Like what you're saying, I mean, when you're just kind of scrolling and you're thinking like, oh, this is just, you know, this is harmless when actually it's like telling you what to think, what to buy, who to be. And it's mostly giving you um, aspirational things to think and be and become and buy and everything, which then creates this like inner disconnect, this inner dissatisfaction that says, well, I guess I need that to, you know, in order to make my life better. I think for me, I came to this like really radical conclusion that there was no thing that I could buy that I could achieve that was going to make me really, truly, sustainably happy and content. Like everything loses its luster, even the most beautiful achievement, it's fleeting. And that's okay. That's how it's meant to be. If I put all my life satisfaction and value and worth on that one fleeting thing, that's when it really hurts. Like I can just enjoy it for what it is, but it's not the thing that's going to, you know, take away my self doubt or make me happy forever. It's like, we get this, we don't even realize it, but you know, we get this in our head. Like, Oh, if I get there, then that's it. There is no there. Like when that's it, like that's it, you're dead. You know, like you, there's always healing to be done. There's always things to learn. There's always going to be, you're always going to like, feel like you solved yourself doubt and then something else is going to happen and you're going to try something new and then, Oh, self doubts back. You know, there's always going to be, you know, unless you just sit there and stop growing, but most of us want to grow and evolve. And that requires learning new things, scaling new heights. We have to challenge ourselves. And all of that is fun and exciting and challenging and hard. And all of the things, all the things that life is made of and everything, but it's when we put, okay, someone else has a life that's so perfect. It's rid of pain. No one else has that. No one else. So I just don't buy into that anymore. I don't buy into that belief, which then makes me less susceptible to like, oh, if I buy this thing and I get that kind of life, then I'll be better and I'll be okay. I just now have a hard and fast rule with myself where like, no, you don't get to think like that. Like, these things can add to my life. Like I look at achievement as it's a new experience. Like it's a new way. If it's a new level, it's a new way of existing. You know, it's a new way of creating. It's a new way of putting my art out into the world. But I've heard from too many people at too many different stages of their life of financial success, fame, all these things. Like I've talked to so many people and all of them say the same thing where they're like, it doesn't change you as much as people think. Like it changes people's perception of you, 
but it doesn't change you fundamentally. And that has really been a guiding light for me because that means that my happiness, my fulfillment, my purpose, my joy is not somewhere out there for me to achieve. It's somewhere within me to cultivate on a day-to-day basis. I remember back when I first started my podcast, I wrote this goal of what I wanted to make per month. You know, it was like my kind of first starting goal. And it's funny because I found that piece of paper the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, I passed this a long time ago. And I remember when I wrote it, thinking that everything was going to be different when I achieved this one thing. And it wasn't at all, like so much so that I skipped right over it and set a new goal without even really noticing. And I do try to cultivate the habit of really celebrating my wins, like writing down what I've accomplished each day. And I go in and out of the habit. I can tell when I'm needing it and it'll become really consistent. And then I'll kind of replace it with a different positive habit. But it felt really good to kind of look back on, but it was a great reminder of this is exactly why you need to enjoy the journey and find things to be grateful for now. Find a way to work that you're enjoying the entire process because the process, the journey, that's your life. The moment of accomplishing it is just one moment of like, yeah, I made it. And then you got to go back to your life. And however you've been living during that time frame, before you hit that goal, those are going to be your habits that kick right in after the goal. It's not like anything's going to change. You're, you're already, if you're look, used to looking at all the things that you don't have, all the things that you haven't accomplished, and used to looking at your life like, if only I did this, and if only this was this way, then those that way of thinking is going to continue to move through no matter what goal that you hit. So it's such a good point. And it reminds me of that saying, like another point that you made about kind of just being convinced that we need this other thing or that, you know, once we get there, we'll be happy. Or if we have what they have, we'll be happy. And there's a saying that says, uh, if you don't stand for any, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I've taken the meaning of that to so much more than I think it was just intended for. But one of the ways that I see it is if I don't get really intentional or ask myself, know myself well enough to know what makes me happy or to know what my version of success looks like or to know how I want to spend each of my days, then when I see the next article on this new thing that'll make me happy or this other person doing this cool thing, I'm just going to be chasing those things the whole time because I'm chasing other people's definitions of joy or success or happiness or whatever it is that I feel like is lacking within myself. But I think what trips us up when we go inside is that we have all this shame that we're afraid to look at. And you said something earlier about shame being a motivator for some people. In my opinion, is kind of an illusion, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing about shame as a motivator, um, and I write about this in my book a lot, is like, it does work. And I say work in quotes, you know, it'll get you to some sort of outcome. You know, it, it can, it can really do that. But I also think, you know, I work to transform the shame much more than I would listen to it and then live in service of it. Like now I need to change this thing. And I guess the change then comes from 
I go back to like, I want a new experience of myself. You know, I've recently changed a, a significant part of, you know, a, like changed my body and how I was interacting with my body. And I always, I got to the place where I really loved my body, but then I was like, you know what there, I want a different experience of being in my body. I want to feel more energized. I want to feel more vibrant. I want to be able to, I also somehow was a little like prophetic in knowing that I needed more energy coming up. This was like back in September, 2020, but then all of a sudden now it's like, I couldn't even sustain the life that I have now if I hadn't started to like really focus on my physical health the way that I did, because I, I mean, I would have, wouldn't have been able to just, I need so much energy now than I did before. Um, and so I got motivated not by, I hate my body, but because I love myself. Like I love myself. So that means I have to hear myself when I am feeling that there is something that really wants to be transformed. You know, it's not because the shame, it's not shame when you don't like something about yourself or you know that there's something about yourself that there's more potential there or there's more, there's, you're neglecting something. You know, that's a big thing. It's like, I'm neglecting this. I'm neglecting this part of myself. That's usually where it comes from because otherwise we'd be paying attention and we wouldn't need that, you know? The shame comes in when it's like, you're bad, you're wrong. There's something wrong with you that you neglect this. And you're, you're like a disgusting, lazy human that you neglect this. Like, ew, you know, that's the shame versus, you know what? We're not loving ourselves when we're doing this. Neglect is not love. Attention, intention, action, this is love. This is love when you show up for yourself. And so there's a way of reframing it and, and like even just talking about it, it feels lighter when you're like, oh, what would be an expression of me loving myself through this versus hating myself through it, forcing myself, doing things that I really hate to do because I'm trying to like outrun this feeling of shame that I think is the driver in this. And then once I get to this end goal, I won't feel the shame anymore. And that's, and that's a real like risky 50, 50. You might, it might go away. It might not, you know, we have a lot of people. I'm not just talking about bodies. I'm talking about anything where it's like, you know, then you get to a certain place and you go, it's not enough yet. I still feel this shame because I really think shame is like, it's a root, it's a root thing. And all of the other things, the neglect or the avoidance or the disassociation or any of that, they're just symptoms. And so we have to kind of look at the root of it and say, what is this telling me? What is this story that I have about myself that's telling me this is something that I need to feel ashamed about versus something that I can just say, is this something that I want to change about myself? Is this something that it would add to the quality of my life to change it? Because then what happens is going back to the journey is the reward. The journey of loving yourself through change is so much more beautiful than shaming and hating yourself through it. You might get to the same end result, but you'll be a different person at the end of the loving yourself journey. You might, what, what ended up happening with me, because I used to use shame as a motivator for a lot of things, is that then I just started to recognize that. I could do that in any area. 
And I could shame myself all the time and think that that was going to be, you know, the thing that motivated me, but it was really unsustainable. I didn't keep any of my habits. It was super inconsistent because the moment the shame went away, I was like, okay, I'm good. Now I can go back (laughs) to the thing that I was doing before because I didn't really like look at the root of it at, at anything. And then the cycle would start again. And I can tell, and I know that a lot of people probably feel that same way, maybe not as like conscious of it, but that is what happens because it's like, that's why people always are like, I know what to do. Like, I know what's good for me. Why don't I do it? It's like, because a lot of times we're motivating ourselves to do good and loving things by hating ourselves to do it, which it's like that equation doesn't add up, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I know that our beliefs about ourselves or our beliefs in general are the biggest contributors or the biggest motivators for action. It's what underlies the action. And so if you are creating a self-belief around shame, like that comes with a lot of hatred for yourself. And so like you said, it's not sustainable. And for me, when I was ever motivated or I thought I was motivated by shame, because I feel like it's kind of an illusion. I don't know if we're as motivated as we think. A lot of times when I was trying to change whatever it was that I was ashamed about, I would do it through more almost shameful type things because they Mm -hmm. fell right along with that self-belief of self-hatred or that I'm disgusting or whatever it is. And so I had an eating disorder for a really long time and I had a lot of shame about that. And it wasn't until I started being kind to myself through the journey that I made any sort of progress. Like, yeah, maybe I'd go a week without indulging in binging and purging, but the moment that I slipped up a little bit, it would be a whole shame spiral that would be accompanied with also binge drinking and going out too much and like anything to escape my body that I was just developing more and more hatred for. And when I started to be like, okay, all right, Melissa, you made one mistake. It doesn't mean it's all for nothing. Just pick it back up and do better today. You know, take it one moment at a time. And the inner voice was so very different. And it was interesting too, because I don't know if I would have gotten there if I was just trying to change that behavior. I was trying to change a lot of things in my life. I went to yoga. I surrounded myself with different people. It was a really slow journey into health for me in all sorts of ways, mind and body. And there were little tiny steps where all of a sudden I was starting to view myself differently. And I think the biggest thing was, was really changing the beliefs underneath. But it reminds me of one of the things that you teach is that self-love is not pretty and easy. And that's definitely been my experience. You know, a lot of the journey to finding that love for myself was having to really confront all of the ways that I was not loving myself, all of the self-sabotaging habits, what was contributing to what, like, it was just one step at a time for me. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that because that's what I was kind of going around, but I didn't know if we were going to go there. But yeah, I mean, that's what I recognized in September 2020 was I had a binge eating disorder. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I have to look at this. Like it, it felt as though it wasn't loving to be shaming myself for this, to judge myself for it, to, you know, it felt that the most loving thing to do would be to look at this and 
have behaviors that would really line up with that. And I think that was my experience with self-love as well. I mean, I talk about it because it was my experience and that, you know, people don't talk about that, like, in order to, like, you need self-love because there was a time when you were taught self-hate, right? So it's just like, of course, you're going to have to, this is why we find self-love so hard and why we tend to go toward like the more commercialized self-love, which is like face masks, bubble baths, and this kind of stuff, which feels kind of loving and it is, but it's not really like what's true, like deep love um, for ourselves and deep respect and trust within ourselves. That requires looking at like all the reasons that you were taught not to love yourself, which is like what we are avoiding. You know, that's why we have the shame. We have the self-sabotage. We have these, you know, distraction and avoidance and because we don't want to look at, you know, oh, well, I don't want to see all those things. I'm, I'll am i just like, you know, achieve this big thing that'll prove to me that I'm finally worthy instead of having to look at why I think I'm not worthy just as I am right now without that achievement. You know, we don't want to look at that. We'd rather just go, 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 prove, 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 and not really take a look at like these things that we were both taught and that we took on. And why we have to even have a concept called self-love. You know, like, why isn't that so obvious? Why aren't we taught, like, to have positive self-regard from the very beginning, from the outset? It's, like, makes me sad that we even need a term called self-love. Even though I talk about it all the time, it just, you know, at the core of it does kind of make me sad that, like, we're not taught that. That's not a given. When it absolutely should be a given. If there's anyone that it should be unconditional to love. It's ourselves. I agree so much. And I mean, I have a one-year-old now and so many things come up on this show where I'm like, we're not taught that. And it's like, well, I'm doing it different. So all the mamas out there, <laughs> let's let's just teach these things. And I know your book is a really great place to start for people that are struggling with some of these things. And so for listeners that are really vibing with everything that we're saying, where's the best place for them to connect with you and find your book? Yeah, my book, all the links and to buy and everything is at radicallycontent.com, but you can buy it wherever books are sold. It's worldwide, going to be in all the stores. Um, and then I mostly post on Instagram at, at Jamie Varen and then Facebook. I still have a Facebook page at Jamie Varen and I'm on Twitter at Jamie Varen. And if you just need an easy place where all of that is, just go to jamievaren.com. All the links for this episode are at mindlove.com slash 231. Your challenge for this week is to look at your life through a lens of satisfaction. I want you to trust and believe in your body that you have all the tools that it takes to be happy right here and right now. And I get that for some of you, that might be a pretty difficult belief to get behind. And so it might not feel real right away. But the goal is to build this belief. Whenever you feel like you're looking for something more, what your life needs, what you should have, this one thing that's keeping you from feeling this way, stop, take a deep breath, and look for something in your life to be grateful for. Look for something in your life that you wouldn't trade for the world. Pretend right now if somebody came to you and said, hey, 
I'll give you a million dollars to trade this person that you love more than anything else. There's no way you would want that trade, right? I'll also tell you that I know a lot of extremely wealthy people. And I'll also say that they all have things in their life that they wish they had. Whether it's they wish they didn't have fertility issues or they wish they had a more seamless relationship with their partner. We all have these things in our mind that could be different. And I'm not saying that those things aren't valid. But when you start to look at your life like, this is what I came here for. I'm trusting that this is what I came to experience. I'm trusting that I have enough. I'm trusting that I am enough. And that doesn't mean that you just sit in your problems and you never do anything about them either. It's just that you choose to face those problems from a place of gratitude, contentment, and satisfaction. It's knowing that you deserve a better job and trusting that you can find it and going out and looking for it with that mindset versus feeling stuck like you have no power and there's nothing you can do. It also means trusting that there are a million people going through something very similar as you. I know this isn't a popular thing to say, but when I stopped looking at all of my problems as so incredibly unique that no one else could understand, I started finding sources to look to for advice or paths that I could walk that were possible for me. So what does it take for you to stand in your power and know that you've got this? and know that you can be happy. What does it take for you? Let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or leave a comment right here on the show notes page at mindlove.com slash 231. If you'd love to support MindLove, the best way to do so is by joining MindLove Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get a whole backlog of over 50 exclusive episodes that are just for premium members, along with a few extended episodes, dozens of MindLove meditations, and other bonuses. So that's at mindlove.com slash premium. Also, don't forget to check out my amazing sponsors. And the last way and final free way to support is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you do, I just might read your review on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. Thank you.